stories turn songs into symphonies, events into memories, and lives into legends. In our crowded world, knowing your story cuts through the noise so you can make your mark, whether you want to sell more books, increase profits, or just make a difference. At Sterling & Stone, story is our business. The Story Studio Podcast is where we explore ways we can all tell our stories better. And now, with the Story Studio Podcast, number 36, here's Johnny, Sean, and Dave. Dave, dude, calm down. Just relax, man. He's over there. He's got a party cannon and confetti. You just settle down, dude. So, uh, yeah. That's not like a party Joker. cannon. That's a gun. <laughs> it's a gun. <laughs> so we're we're gonna um, we're gonna play a game today. To we want to we want to get out like a lot of our stories because this is the Story Studio podcast. We don't like we we aren't giving self publishing advice anymore. This is all about story and how story informs lives and how story informs art. And so we've got some guests lined up who I think are gonna have really good tales to tell. And we haven't explored a lot of our own tales. Until then you get us. <laughs> Until then you get us. Until then you get our shitty tales. But I'm betting that today we can pull out a lot of the tales that none of us have told each other and that even have shown up in our stories and have informed our art. Meaning that the more stories you have, the more experiences you have, the <laughs> the more you have to draw from. So you guys just didn't get to see this. But while I was talking, I just kind of paused there because Dave readjusted his mic and there was this moment of pure black hatred where that mic was not, he was just like, he made a face. He was like, it was like, it was great. He is in rare form today. He's been up for more than 24 hours. So, um, we can, either, we're going to get a very special Dave. I don't know if it's going to be <laughs> pure rage or he's going to get punchy. Dave um, up all night would be a great, a great show. I would watch it all night. Like I, I would, it would be great. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, when, when you're writing a lot, you're always kind of drawing on the surface of your life for sure. You know, there are stories, the premise of this episode came because we were talking about how there's stories that, you know, events that happen to us that we're drawing on over and over and over. Um, so a book that I just finished, um, the, the main character, uh, he, it's a restaurant business, but it's still a family business. And I grew up in the, in the flower business. So obviously those aren't the same businesses, but there's enough to draw on there. There's enough to know what it's like to work in a family business. And Can we finally admit that flower business is just code for mafia? Oh, dude, don't, I would wish, like, I really wish, I really, really wish I'd. Oh, we're not ready to admit that. Okay, go ahead. No, not yet. Not yet. Um, you know, Dave, Dave obviously has a few bullying stories that have become really core to his way of storytelling. Wait, so you're saying that there's a CI story with bullying in it? No. Yeah. Well, one, maybe, maybe two. Um, Johnny has a lot of stories did, with people maybe. polishing their abs and like, you know, and, and being like best in their most class of them. or something. Yeah, most of them. Glistening six pack. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is you are um you are drawing from the surface of your life. Like I find that if I do something, then like I do something in life, then lo and behold, that shows up very quickly in a new like I don't know, it's my brain leads toward it. So I figured maybe a good way to do this would just be to kind of like run through icebreaker questions as if we didn't know each other and we're in a workplace and or something, some group where we had to get to know each other and just kind of do it that way. So we're going to take turns and Dave's going to pass every time. You can pass <laughs> too if the story sucks or if it's just too personal or something. Right. And okay, I, I, do, have, I do have one question. So when we tell the story, um, we should tell our story 
Um, but only if it's good. If it is a shitty story, we should pass. But we should Can tell, I tell my story with a puppet. <laughs> I actually insist on absolutely. It. Please, <laughs> you can also tell the one about the time when you um, let your uh, little ladies and gentlemen. Work. He may actually be reaching for a puppet that may not have been <laughs> hyperbolic. <laughs> um, so, do, should we also tell? Like, let's say we have a story about a puppet. Um, do we tell about what happened in real life, and then a way possibly that we have used it in a story? I think that um, I don't. I just kind of want to do what feels awesome. How about that? Okay. All right, so, but go. yeah, I think that that I think that they will. I mean, that, that's kind of the point, right? Like, stuff has shown up in. I'm sure that a lot of these answers I'm going to have have shown up in books. Okay. So um, let's see. Uh, well, what was your first job? Uh, is that for me? Oh yes, Johnny. What was your first job? Okay, so um, that's actually Although perfect. I do like hearing Dave talk about the, um, the uh, gas station too. <laughs> yeah, Johnny. What was your first job? Uh, well, I can't claim to have learned a lot about upper, upper deckers like in my first job, like like Dave. Um, <laughs> but I actually I was going to answer this one way, and I think I'm going to answer it a slightly different way. So the first, the way that I was going to answer it is, <clears throat> um, I worked in a in a bagel deli in college, and that actually you talk about being relevant to story that became my very first book was all about a fictionalized account of, um, of that job. And how much of it was fictionalized? Uh, less like it has a strong basis in, in fact, let me put it that way. So when I was writing that, and I think I told this story in something before I, this okay this is actually kind of cool because that's about like the healing power of story like there's a little bit of a lesson here and at the time i was just really i had i had stopped i graduated from college and i went to grad school and grad school sucked balls for me it was not fun um the atmosphere was not fun the people were just not my kind of people i wasn't having fun and um and i was also going really in the wrong direction in my life and so i started having panic attacks, which is its own story and just generally feeling really shitty. And one of the ways that I coped was by saying, drugs, well, drugs lots of alcohol, actually, Too many women. Of those things. um, but I did a little bestiality. I wanted to go back there. So I went back in story. So I went back and I started writing this because I I'd tried to write a lot of books and I'd never finished anything. And so I said, what if I just kind of write the funniest stories and fictionalize them some and I think in that very first draft, I got to like the halfway point before realizing that I needed, you know, some actual plot and that sort of thing. And so I, it was almost like I, I, I told the stories of real people and um, fictionalized them, you know, just enough. But it really was it was it was an emotional reconnection to that time. And then I drew on experience at that job for the rest of them, for the rest of the book. But then I'm realizing that that wasn't my first job. I had a job. My first real job was probably in an ice cream store. Um, and that in the very, very first draft of the book that became dead city, when it was just a farcical fat vampire, Bialy pimp style romp before it was a serious book, like in dead city. Um, and I, all I knew is I wanted zombies living with people. Um, it originally took place in that, that, that ice cream barn. Um, so I have many Cindy's stories. first job was, um, was an ice cream. Was it Dairy Queen actually? Yeah, this was, um, this was, there's no reason I can't say the name of the place, right? I'm not going to like libel it. I so, don't think so. Okay. Yeah. It was called Mr. G's barn and it was in. So Mr. G's barn has like dead children that they serve. No, no, no. Yes. 
no, it was an ice cream place, but the guy then set a story there. So the funny thing about Mr. G's barn was that um, it was he, front for drugs. He built it. So there was nothing on this this land. And so he built an ice cream store and it, it was a barn, which doesn't make any sense because like I could see if it were a barn and he converted it to an ice cream place. But he could have built like Mr. G's helipad. And so I had a ton of stories of that place and and that just became like the previous book, just a bunch of like undifferentiated stories that went nowhere, which is why the book flopped. But that was me trying very literally to put, uh, anyway, story into, into books. Um, so I'll go next, right? So, um, how about, uh, oh, these are kind of lame, but let's go with, I feel like you, I'll go with Sean because Dave is, of course, passing, but we can hit him after a bit after he warms up and makes fun of Sean some. Um, so since you grew up in California, I'm just going to let's have you ever met anyone famous? Oh, yes. Um, many people. And what's actually. the what's the most interesting story there if you have any? OK, well, the most interesting story there isn't somebody I actually met. It's Was just Harvey it, Weinstein. No, um, well, it didn't even take you long. Like, OK, is is. Is Harvey the new Hitler? Is that what's happening? <laughs> All right. So um, I, just, I, I just tend to think of despicable people. I don't know. Um, growing up in Southern California, you just kind of like you do see famous people. Like it, it's not an odd occurrence, um, especially like the shopping center where our uh, flower shop was, was really photogenic. So occasionally they'd even shoot things there um, and like, it just that was a normal thing and we had i mean we had a few people um we had a few regular customers who were on tv shows that lived like you know right by the flower shop so that wasn't that unusual and i really have never been starstruck except for one time when you met um, me yeah it was when i met you when you stepped off the plane in cincinnati and we ran to each other like there was a the meadow music in came between up. us yeah yeah that was fantastic <laughs> um sean picked me up and swung me around um <laughs> Uh, yeah, and 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 Dave said, "Do you remember? Do you remember one of the first things you said to me when we met each other for the first time?" I've always loved um, you. <laughs> you I was wearing this like I was wearing a like a, a pea coat, um, but it was it was like a little tailored, like it was it was a nice pea coat. And he looks at me and he wrinkles his nose and he says something to the effect of, "You strike me as somebody who likes nice things," <laughs> but he said it like. <laughs> like there's something wrong with having a nice jacket on you're a fancy panera man or something <laughs> yeah he thought i was gonna work at panera um <laughs> so oh crap what was the, what was the question have you ever met anyone um, famous and are there any good stories there oh yeah so so besides dave the most famous person i met that actually made me starstruck was i was in a coffee bean um and i was behind like not even immediately behind, like three people behind Steven Spielberg. And, um, oh. and that was awesome. Steven Spielberg. Oh. Are you fucking You may me? have heard of him. Oh, you really? No, I didn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, all right. Yeah. Um, it was Steven Spielberg. And there was something really magical about his presence, his energy. Like I was, I was a little like, I was, I was starstruck. That felt. He, you mean his energy standing in line? Yeah, that totally. guy stands in line no. like nobody's business. No, there are a few people whose energy you can feel. Um, John Travolta. 
backpack. John Travolta. No, I, I was in a room where John Travolta walked in and <laughs> it was electric. Like you could feel that motherfucker. Like he just has energy. And there's, there's Did you actually feel that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think he would have liked that, but um, I had a stun gun. I wasn't near enough. Um, <laughs> Mel Gibson is somebody who also had a really powerful energy. I bet. He, Does the Imperial no, March play when he walks in? Yeah. Well, it's funny because he was a total dick. But when I saw him, what? Wait, wait, no. When I saw him, it, he was still Hollywood's like golden boy. He was not considered a dick or an asshole at all. My mom was in love with Mel Gibson when I saw him. Um, he wasn't screaming about the different races that he. No. I seen Arnold Schwarzenegger. I saw. Okay, here's here's the coolest sighting I ever saw. Um, well, but well, it, I wanted to hear you talk about Mel Gibson being a dick. He was, it was for us. Um, it was for, it was when Cindy and I first uh, were dating. So this was 1997. Did he punch um, her? No, it would have been, yes, he <laughs> punched her. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> it was 97 or 98. And when we were first dating, we used to go to, uh, to this film class where um, it was up in LA and they would screen a film, you know, like, I don't know, month, two months before it came out and the actors or filmmakers would be there to talk about it. It was really cool. It's one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. And we and did like a change year. the ending based on what idiots thought about it. No, it wasn't like that. It, it wasn't, I did a lot of those in LA too, but that those are screenings. This was different. This was more like, like a, it was a film critic. The film critic, Ron Lurie is the guy who put it on. Um, and it was just like, you had to, you had to sign up for it. it. It was a really awesome thing. Pleasantville, I saw like six months before it came out and Gary Ross was there and it was really cool. Um, anyway, uh, it was when Mel Gibson's Payback came on and all the other uh, famous people that we'd seen, all the other actors, directors, writers, whatever, they've been really, really awesome, really gracious. Uh, this is when Michael Caine had made his first, uh, his first um, film movie. No, no. His, <laughs> I, I forget what it was called. It had uh, Ewan McGregor in it. Uh, I think it had the title Bird in the title, the word Bird in the title. Anyway, um, he hadn't made a movie in a long, long time. He was there, and he was so nice and so gracious. Like, And he's fucking Michael Caine, right? Um, and so... Well, I mean, he might. He's British, so anything he says is going to sound nice. He'd be like, well, fuck you, sir. You're like, oh, he's so cool. That's true, but he was cool. Gary Oldman was cool. Like, there were a lot of everyone who was cool. Mel Gibson acted like he was too good to be there. He had a hat pulled low over his head, and he was slunched down like this with his arms crossed. And he just was – everyone. every time someone asked him a question, he would act – Jews! <laughs> wow. All right. He's waking up. Dave up. <laughs> so – um, he, he just had terrible energy. Uh, but, um, anyway, none of that affected me with something about Spielberg did. Like I, I've never gone up to anybody and like, well, I just, I think it's rude. Like people, they get that enough, you know, and I know that's what they signed up for and all that, but blah, blah, blah. I just, I agree. I don't, I, I would never ever go up to somebody. <laughs> um, I would never go up to somebody at all. Um, but I like, if there's anybody I would have approached just to say like, wow, I think that you've made a tremendous impact on the world with your art. Um, like I, I would Hitler. like to give him a high five. So uh, Dave, oh we God, got punched on Dave. Stop. So um, I actually did have one in here that I want specifically want to ask Dave, but before I do that, I just want to mention really quickly that I have one and only one celebrity sighting and it was Dan Quayle. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow, wait, that's your only celebrity sighting? Uh, that's the time. only one, and it's not like... No, 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 that's not true. I I, um, I have two celebrity sightings that I, I didn't... I feel like we've seen... Haven't we seen someone famous together? No? I don't know. We. I had two that just... They just happened. The first was um, I was like in a Saturday morning bowling league with my friends or something when I was in high school because I was real hip. And, um, and Dan Quayle just came in. Like it was like the Secret <laughs> Service guys came. It must have been a photo op because it was during election. Oh, that's why. That's actually kind of awesome. It was really weird. Yeah, and he just bowled and then he left. And then the other was um, but that I was in a Barnes & Noble, again, just hanging out, like no whatever, and there was something going on at the front. And it was Dan George, Quayle came in? It was George Takei. So who is signing oh, copies no. of his book? And that was kind of cool. Um, okay, okay. So, well, okay. What, what's celebrity? Because you've seen, um, uh, is, is Tucker a celebrity? Yeah, I guess. But when they're in our circle, it's less dramatic for me, you know, because they're just like, I don't know Tucker as like celebrity author or whatever. I just know him as like a smart marketer, you know? Right. And smart I didn't actually. I know he's a guy that makes fun of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I want to do that podcast. So can I ask? Um, can I ask this question to Dave here? Because I just found this. Wait, 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 wait. I, I, I got, I gotta go, and I, I have one for Dave. Um, and it's what is something that is popular right now that annoys you? Da da. No dead air. <laughs> we keep keep people in suspense. Everything. Do you want? Do you want to pass? Uh, because Johnny's all ready to go with another. Yeah, let, let Johnny go. We'll come back. Well, it's also oh, for well. you. I mean, <laughs> so. I gotta narrow the list down. Okay, you go. Maybe I'll. All have right. You. So, and I, I don't know that there's a story here, but it feels like it's ripe for potential. What's the strangest family tradition in your family? Oh, when we get together with Mel Gibson, <laughs> and it could be. I would think it could be you as the child with your with your you know your parents and stuff, or it could be your family that you are the head of. Oh well, okay. I, I mean, this isn't a strange. Well, tradition, you're you're but. not interesting enough. This is for Dave. <laughs> so I already assumed he passed. I pass. I have no traditions. My family had no traditions. Yes, they did. What do you your bet Dave like, has? Your tradition was like work harder. Yeah, what do you bet Dave has really? Like tr- he thinks he has no traditions, but if we were ever to see them, we'd be like, "You do what?" Oh, I bet you anything. I bet you're ignoring your family. Like on Easter, instead of hiding eggs, there's beatings or something. Yeah. It's like the episode of The Simpsons with the snakes. Whacking day. Yeah, whacking day. Are you want to my punishments? punishments? Are those traditions? Yes, those are traditions. Well, all right. So let's hear Sean's answer. And and just as a bonus question, has it ever made it into a book? Because I feel like a lot of this stuff leaks through. Okay, well, one of one of our traditions for sure makes it into everything I write, and that's uh, every Sunday, um, pretty, I mean, pretty religiously. It really was our church. We would go to a movie as a family, um, like, like all four of us. The, the the store either would close on Sunday, or it was the one day that the part timers could handle it, and my parents didn't go in, and we would usually spend that time as a family going to a movie, um, and so like love of story was like, I got it in a lot of ways for sure. But um, being able to consistently count, I would say at least two, if not three out of four Sundays um, throughout my entire childhood, I'd see a movie with my family. So um, that was very, very traditional. It was 
ritual and um it's passed on now like we watch movies all the time as a family it's friday night like we'll be watching a movie tonight for sure um and it's sacred in fact our the the children have had really varied schedules lately and this is the first friday night in like a month that we're all going to be home and able to have movie night so it's like important like hey it's movie night so actually speaking of um of real life and and family style and surrounding and whatever make it into books um, I haven't read a lot of Sean and Dave stuff. I, I read yesterday's gone season one. I read crash. I read something else. I don't remember, but I don't keep up as much as, as I would like to. But recently I read, um, a book that Sean wrote mostly, um, by himself. What was the first, um, it was the thriller with the, yeah, the, I know what you don't need yeah, to say. Okay. Name, okay. So, well, whatever it was, but it was, but you wrote that by yourself pretty much, right? I mean, I know that you had outlining help and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Dave gave me the outline and I did the draft hundred percent. Yeah. So I had a, the one I, you just did. No, it was a while ago. This is several it's books. The one that, it's the one that I matched you with Nano when you were off making dead babies on Christmas. So the funny thing about this is, um, <clears throat> I, it was, I was really distracted reading it because I know Sean so well at this point that it was like peeping into his bedroom or something like it was really it was constant there were there were, a tradition. there were references now a, a casual reader would never have known it but it was full of stuff that i recognized from his family and his stories the interactions within the family were very plat family um there were stories that i recognized well the as, daughter the 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 daughters was 15 and Haley was 15 at the time and talking to the basically the the dad daughter dynamic was copy and paste for my life it was super easy to just i mean the specifics are totally totally different but the rhythm was there but there were things that i recognized that you and i had talked about like there was there was stuff in there i'm sure that there was sean and dave stuff and it was really weird because i'm sure i do it too and oh, you yeah, just, you, yeah. yeah, you just don't notice it. But I'm used to it. I, I mean, I, I know I know that if Johnny and I have a conversation about something, it's going to be in a book within like two or three months in some way, a sentence here, a sentence there, a reference to it. But I think um, it's a good example of why, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I, I don't have a lot of experience to draw from for a book. And the answer is, uh, well, yeah, you, you probably do. Um, there's an example I don't want to give that just because it's very, very early on, but we were just talking about this for an upcoming project in the company that there's a, uh, one of our writers has a very specific project that uniquely draws oh, on her yeah. experience Yeah, and nobody else could write that book. Well, other people could, but not as not in that specific way. And that's like, I know that in, um, you know, on writing, Stephen King gives the example of like space plumbers. And he's like, I know that's a ridiculous idea, but maybe not because like plumbing in space might actually be its own unique brand of awesome if you could write it and you knew it. So we all have those stories. Uh, Dave left. So here oh, he's he, back. He's back. I feel like I want to keep asking questions until we get one Dave can answer. Dave, are there any questions we want you want us to ask you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know if you find one that's interesting, I'll answer it. Uh, all right. Um, what Disney cartoon or cartoon character were you inexplicably afraid of as a kid? All of them. <laughs> What's the weirdest thing you've eaten for breakfast that is not a breakfast food? Uh, I would ask, do you have any crazy roommate stories, but you can just listen to worst show ever. 
All right, here I have one for for for. Um, oh, I have. Oh, you have a roommate story. I have a few. Okay. Well, okay. Oh, all very... right. Yeah. Rock those on. Uh, I don't know that they're crazy. I don't know. I I had. Um, you teased us. Deliver. You know, one one roommate I lived with. Um, I worked. Um, I worked different hours. Um, I worked sometimes. I worked midnight. Sometimes I worked in the morning. So she would work in the morning and I would be up before her because I had to be up like fucking 4 a.m. to get to work. So I would make something and I would leave uh, a pot or a pan um, in the sink and she would leave like these really nasty fucking notes for me. Like, cause she got really, wow, this is really, Kismet, isn't it? Because I think that I may notice reflections with the shoe on the other foot in your current life. <laughs> were they nasty notes like "you suck," "fuck your mom," or were they like "spread your cheeks"? I want to give you a rim job. Like, what kind of nasty? Well, is there wow, anything between what? those two? I didn't live with your mom. <laughs> wow, do you always have to bring Harvey and my mom into it? Like, what the hell? Uh. So Dave's I, got a deal a meal deck of Sean's life. It's or, or a life. It's got the character cards are Sean's mom, Hitler, Harvey <laughs> Weinstein. Anyway, so, so she, the pot. She, she wow, a very rare deal a meal reference. <laughs> she threatened me saying that um who my mom? Yes. Oh, we're back to your neighbor. Sorry. Um, my my roommate, she threatened me saying that if if I kept leaving uh, stuff in the sink in the morning, she would throw it away. Well, so this I, sounds exactly like what Dave says. <laughs> so, so what I did was I said, well, fuck that. So I took all the dish cause they were all mine. I brought all the dishes in the house, all the pots and pans. I took them all and I put them in my room. I said, well, you can find your own dishes. So that was the beginning wow, so, of the end of that so one. Right, so this isn't something you grew into. This is just how you've always been. If only there were a Yelp for roommates. <laughs> uh, there was one time uh, my second roommate. <laughs> after that one left, I, can't I don't believe know that why. one didn't last forever. It was always their problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, my second Dave, roommate. Have you ever lost a roommate that was your fault? Uh, no. <laughs> Let's check in. <laughs> I'm a joy to live with. Oh, I'm sure. I was just double checking. <laughs> uh, there, there was a... Uh, so, one night, um, my next roommate, she had... Uh, well, we had mutual friends. So, we, we had some friends over, and we were on the balcony. And I'm trying to think how old I was. I was probably 24 at the time. So, we're on the balcony... And we look across the way and there's a naked woman walking around her living room. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So like, everybody's like looking at this girl. I'm like, okay, well this, um, this is very weird because like, I, I don't know. So the guys that are there screamed something to her. So she looked out and saw that we were on the balcony basically looking. And I just like flew into the house because I didn't want someone thinking I'm fucking creeping on him. So 
the 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 interesting part of this story is the next morning I had to go to work and I uh, there's two apartment buildings across from each other. Uh-oh. And and I'm walking through the, the 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 common area between the two apartment buildings and I see the woman and she has a police uniform on. Oh. <laughs> Wow. Has that ever showed up in a story in some way? No, no. I, I typically I don't tell a lot of stories from my own life. I don't feel in my books. I tell like Well, you pull right, from the that, news a lot. Yeah, you that's pull. that's not true. I'm trying to decide where because this is clearly gonna be a two parter and I feel like I want to delve in on my suspicions there, but it's gonna take a while. Do you well, want yeah, finish he, your thought about the news? Well, I think that Dave, Dave, you and I are very comfortable pulling from our lives. And I think this is relevant to storytellers, right? So you and I are very, very comfortable saying, okay, we heard this joke. We, you know, we did this. I mean, for example, um, I needed a, I needed a, a character a couple of days ago. He needed to get his mom to talk to him and his mom was mad at him. And so he needed a like bait her into taking a phone call. So they had this text exchange and I needed like a joke and I heard a joke just a couple of days before. So I just stole that joke and used it uh, for this, this exchange. And I'm always, always doing that. I mean, I'm, I'm writing every single day. So I don't think there's anything wrong with cribbing from the stuff that feels most immediate to me. And I actually like that because when I go back later and I read that stuff, I get to remember those stories. I get to remember those things. And so it's a little bit like journaling through fiction. Um, but Dave is almost uh, timid about that sometimes. Um, you know, like <laughs> I'll write something in CI in a CI book um, and he'll, uh, you know, make a comment like, oh, that's that's cute. But it's a little too inside baseball or that's, you know, who is that for? It's for me, motherfucker. Give, like, give, I, it's give for me, me. Give me an example of something that seems a little too inside baseball, because I'm curious where you draw the line. Um. Because I think that, and here's where I'm going with this. So when I was reading the, and I already mentioned this, when I was reading that book and seeing all of the stories, like just laid bare, because I know, I know the machinery behind the curtain. Um, I don't think that it would have been apparent to anybody else. Like it wouldn't right. have seemed inside baseball. It would have just seemed like a quirk that was invented by the author. Right. And that's the whole point. Like Dave's worried that people will see those themes. And first of all, they won't. Second of all, even if somebody like a listener happens to see something like that, it just makes them feel special. I can give an example where I thought it was too inside baseball. It was uh, some character that was um, going on and on about like um, online marketing or something, uh, entrepreneurship. And it was very much like how you think about these things. And I'm used to that, but it was also like just too much. It was just, it was, it, it wasn't just that it was too inside baseball. It was also that it, it was just too much for the story. Like, well, I think we're on, referring- on about something like that. Uh, it, it just felt like it was pontificating a bit too much about. Something. No, I think what you're talking about actually wasn't entrepreneurship. It was indie publishing. And it was the first chapter of the same book that Johnny is talking about. Okay. And that entire first chapter is just gone. Like that actual first chapter doesn't exist because it is a lot of throat clearing, really. That first chapter, it is figuring out where the story is. And it doesn't begin at that publishing conference. It actually begins in the bar afterwards. 
Um, oh, so that entire book had a section that was basically like attending our conference or something. Yeah, you actually read that version, I think. But no, but the version that out. the version that I read began in the bar. Oh, okay. So there was a whole there was a whole part before that that is no longer there. Yeah, see, I can see that. I can see that being. I can see why you do it, and I could see why it was the right choice to cut it. Right, right, and right. Um, and actually, uh, Spencer is the one who suggested that was cut. Like that went through a couple of people who read it and were fine with it. Um, after Dave said that, I actually pulled way back on that. And then Spencer's like, yeah, you actually don't need this chapter at all. And we just chopped it right out. And <laughs> it, it actually makes for a much more fluid story. Bonnie actually starting today has that story again, that story, because you know how it's bounced around with right. tension, it, right? It's, it's now getting another pass, yes. but go ahead. Well, well, that's the whole point. Like that was a real immediate thing. I was able to write from my life and that enabled me to get going with that story and write fast. But also you have to have the, um, the insight to know, okay, well, that's too much. That, that is inside baseball. Um, okay. you know, but, but yeah, that's interesting because what that makes me think is, um, I'm remembering that the very first draft of the book with the bagel deli had like, it was one and a half times as long. And it's because, and it was a shortcut because I could easily write about these real people in a way that I couldn't write about characters I had to invent. It gave me a shortcut. Now they became widely, wildly fictionalized and names were changed and all that stuff. But, um, at the beginning, it was like a, it was like a running start. And what I found was exactly what you're talking about. I think where like you have to find the line between what is, and ex- what is, uh, you know, flavoring to the story, what gives it a little bit of, of interest and stuff versus what makes it to inside baseball to use the term. And that's what I had to cut was I had long things that were basically self-indulgent because they were interesting to me because they were my stories. And right. Like, and, and they make no. sense for you and they're easy for you to roll with. So that all makes total sense. And in that instance, Dave's totally right. But that's actually not the kind of stuff I'm talking about. The stuff I'm talking about is like... Um, I don't even know. It's like, um, okay, okay. Here, here's a good example. Um, if, if, if you and I were writing beats and I had um, a character, um, you do this all the time as the collaborator. So I see it on the other end, and of course I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna just let it go because I think it's hilarious. But like, let's say there's somebody on a plane and they're being eavesdropped on, um, and the guy's name is Beef. All right, that's hilarious to me. <laughs> I'm going to leave that. I understand where that came from. Uh, and so obviously that belongs in the story. Because that's a real uh, story that happened to us. Right. So some guy named Beef, like Johnny and I were three to a seat um, in a plane. And this guy had headphones on the entire time and seemed to be like not listening to us at all. He was leaned over against the window, listening to his music, his own thing. At the very end of the flight, Johnny gets up to go to the bathroom and he takes his headphones off and he leans over to me and he goes, what the fuck do you guys do for a living? <laughs> because our conversation had been all over the place. So, um, fisting mittens. I mean, really, we were talking about a lot of things. And so if we have somebody named beef for whatever reason, and I could think of a thousand ways Johnny would use a guy. You named, named a guy named beef and you cast him as the guy from road trip, the skinny <laughs> guy. Know. Right, exactly. So that's the kind of thing we do all the time. Which is not what the real beef looked like. At all, right. And if I had that same experience with Dave, and we ran into this guy, Beef, and I put Beef in Beats, 
they would roll his eyes at me. Or if I put if I put beef in the Hi. actual story, he'd roll his eyes harder. So it's just a different style I know of story. Probably because you're putting why? beef in beets, like a recipe for borscht or something. <laughs> I'm vegetarian. Yeah. No, uh, to me, to me, the story and the characters in it feel very real and sacred. And when you inject real life anecdotes like that, it it takes me out of the story. It makes it feel less real to me. It puts so, me in. It makes it deeper. It makes me invested. I mean, as a storyteller, I want to. It's different, I guess. Yeah, uh, no, it, it totally. I, I tend it, to write. I, I don't write autobiographical about specific events. I write about uh, themes and feelings in similar events uh, to things that happen. But I, I don't think I've ever really written something line for line that happened to me. The, uh, the closest I can think of a scene that I lifted straight out of reality uh, was... Uh, a scene in Available Darkness where the kid is pretending to sleep while his father is standing in the room behind him. And he's afraid if he lets his father know that he's awake, he might get an ass whooping. And that is a scene that I actually took from my friend Todd's life. And I told him I was going to do that uh, before he died. So um, that's the only thing that I've actually taken like almost verbatim All from... Right. Well, Real I want to put a, I want to put a cliffhanger on this and stay tuned for the next week because I have many follow-up questions and I feel like it's going to be a good rich discussion that's going to tell us a lot more about using real life stories for your fictional stories. So why don't we just cork it at that? Um, I, I have I reminded people about Smarter Artist Summit in a while. I'll do that. SmarterArtistSummit.com. It's the last one. I'll leave it at that. Join your us. last chance to see the three of us together probably ever well because we'll <laughs> break up ever. after this it'll be like the end of the beatles well yes. no this is like basically think of the smarter artist summit 2019 like the rooftop beatles performance the police will probably end up breaking it up and that's it <laughs> because dave called them on us florida <laughs> All right. Thanks for uh, listening. And like I said, stay tuned for part two of this very, very interesting series, I'm sure. Adios. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. You're invited to join us at the final Smarter Artist Summit on February 18th and 19th in Austin, Texas. Authors and publishing experts from around the world will join us to teach you strategies that will outlast the what's working yesterday tactics everyone else is talking about. Attendance is limited, so reserve your spot at SmarterArtistSummit.com now. 